When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey sports fans, Coach Nick here, and I just wanted to drop in for a quick second to tell you that this podcast is really gaining popularity, and in order for us to continue growing like this, I'd love it if you could rate and review us on iTunes. Plus, I'm always excited to hear feedback and continue to improve our content based on what you want to hear. I know I'm in. Are you? Can the thunder keep rolling without Ennis Cancer? Is this the beginning of the end for the Bulls season? Will the Knicks be able to make a Carmelo trade work? The only question left is, say it with me, you win. Hey sports fans, Coach Nick here and welcome to the B-Ball Breakdown Podcast. As always, on Monday, I'm pleased to bring on the show with me, Coach Dave, Dave Dufour, that guy, that basketball, that 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 guy basketball podcast, that guy, Dave. Well, <laughs> that was now that was an intro. <laughs> you know, we're, I'm still looking for that intro that isn't just like, "Hi, hi, how's it going? What's the weather hey, like? How you been? Like, we didn't just talk for an hour, right?" It, was, it actually was probably an hour, and it's kind of It crazy. was about an hour, yeah. yeah. Uh, what would we do if we were in the same city? I don't know. It would be, it would be, I don't know what we'd do with our families. I don't know. We would just have to film it the whole time. We'd have to put it on Periscope. The whole time. thing. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, just like attach a selfie stick to uh, our shirts or something. Yeah, it'd be like uh, Ed TV. Yes. Truman for Show. Old, yeah, an old movie reference for you guys. Right. So uh, it, this has been kind of an interesting week. Yes, it has. A lot of things have been going on across the spectrum of life things. Yeah, yeah. Um, but if we're sticking to basketball, which <laughs> I need it, um, you know, Ennis Cantor uh, broke his arm uh, punching an innocent chair last week. Uh, one of the dumbest injuries that I can think of. Um, who was it that punched the fire extinguisher? Amare Stoudemire. There you go. Yeah. So it's the dumbest injury since that. Um, and it, it's it, maybe dumber because they caught him on film, at least. Because with Amari, you kind of have to just picture what had happened. But uh, this you can see. It's sad, though. It's sad. You see him realize what he did. And, you know, and he knew it was over as soon as that he looked at it, right? Yeah, and this is a game changer for Oklahoma City's season. I mean, you know, they're they're in the playoff race. Like, you know, there's a seven seed, and, and probably gonna, they're going to most likely maintain that seven seed. But um, the, I think the hopes of them getting up to the sixth seed and avoiding San Antonio, uh, I think that's probably out the window. Right. Now, I was peeping at yesterday when they played the Warriors. Am I great? Is that what happened? Yeah. Uh, no, they played the Cavs. I'm sorry, right? Yeah. And that didn't go very well, um, <laughs> which is to be expected on the road on a weird Sunday game. But uh, Laverne is the guy who I really like, and I feel like, they could plug him in. He ended up, you know, with 13 points, six rebounds in 21 minutes, um, you know, and he was a plus six. So there, there shouldn't be, you know, I, I like to see what he, what happens when he gets some run. 
Yeah, I mean, we'll see. He's a better shooter than Cantor is for sure. Um, but Cantor just does so much work on the offensive glass and uh, and kind of, you know, he's a good anchor for the for the second unit offense. So I don't know if Laverne has that in him. I mean, you know, we'll see. At least I, I hope we'll see. Yeah. I, mean, I, uh, I hope this doesn't mean that Russ is going to start playing 47 minutes, you know. I wouldn't put it past him either, um, which actually brings another question up. But you know, in my way, Laverne is also a better passer. Uh, it's just a different look, and I feel like he could be effective in that. Where maybe they get, I don't know, eighty-five percent of Cantor, and then they, you know, they'll, they'll lose an extra game in that ten-game stretch, or whatever he's gone for, uh, or fifteen games. So maybe they'll lose an extra game or two out of that. Um, so we'll see. But that actually leads me to believe in another question I meant to ask you. We didn't talk about before, which was. You know, when you or did we talk about this with Washington and their offense? I don't remember who I've spoken to. Did I talk to you about yeah, it? Yeah, we did. Yeah, we talked about it on the live show the other night. Okay. Well, you Sonny know, Brooks. you know, we're looking at some of what Washington does. It's clever. There's reverse action. There's there's ball movement, and I'm starting to wonder why this stuff didn't exist in OKC, and that that begs this question about who you know who decides the offense. And now I remember we did talk about it in the live show, but perhaps it's not a lot of crossover there to hear, but. Um, you know, isn't that concern? Does that concern you? Or does that make it seem like it's the players who are deciding what offense is run and what isn't? Well, I mean, ultimately, you do rely on the players to execute. But you, you know, you would think that. I, I mean, we can segue into Chicago right after this because I think this is kind of where mm-hmm. we're heading anyway. Um, you rely on the organization to back up the coach to you know to to give the coach license to get after these guys when they don't run the offense. And I don't know that Scotty Brooks ever had that in OKC. But, you know, in his defense and in the players' defense, when you've got Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook, two of the best isolation scorers, you know, in the last 20 years in the NBA, you're probably going to run a lot of ISO. Uh, But you would like for them to have, you know, some non-isolation as well so that in crunch time it's not so easy to guess what's going to happen and easy to shut down. I mean, OKC still sees that this year. Yeah, Russ hits a few of them, but you always know what's going to happen. Yeah. Well, the other thing is, is like, you know, most offenses that I've ever seen designed usually require the point guard after making a pass to cut somewhere. And yet Russell Westbrook almost never does that. He's, he, I mean, it's a little bit more we've seen this year, a little bit, but usually it's, he'll, he'll step backwards and he'll raise his hand and call for the ball back or whatever and get in the way. And so, you know, that's the, if you're looking for moments of, okay, when is this offense being torpedoed? When could we have seen what he's drawing up and practicing happen? And it's not. Like, those are the moments there. Now, I, I suppose that Durant could also be, you know, um, culpable for that as well. We saw what happened with the Warriors against the Cavaliers the first game where he just wanted to ISO. Um, and broke off the play that was supposed to happen. But, uh, you know, and then I guess, you know, Scott Brooks needs to just sort of shrug and be like, okay, this is what it's going to be. I don't want to get fired or whatever. Um, but I have to tell you, it's remarkable. Uh, in the year that he was off, if he if he was going around and picking up new offense or whatever, um, and for whatever reason, Wall and Beal are not like, the, like that, um, I, I don't know. It's, it's, to me, it sort of speaks, you know, volumes about how, the dynamic of the coach and the player, I suppose, and the superstar. Well, you know, so Scotty Brooks uh, was at Summer League, and and apparently he did spend his time off. He was in Europe. He was, you know, visiting the Spurs. He was, you know, visiting a lot of teams. um, And and he was working on his craft, which is fantastic, and it has shown. But also, you know, John Wall is one of the most unselfish superstars that we have in the NBA. 
Um, you know, he gets other guys paid. Now, yes, he wants to get paid, and he has been very vocal about the money aspect, and you know, and and people have differing opinions on that. But that guy is one of the more willing passers that we have in the league. So, I mean, I think he, he's a pass first. He's one of the few pass first point guards that we have in the in the NBA. Um, but going back to sh- Chicago, like I mentioned before, you know, this might be part of the problem that we're that we're seeing. You know, with the whole Butler Wade versus the world there, um, and you just did a video yesterday where you kind of went into the details. You want to kind of bring us all up to speed? Yeah. Well, you know, they basically, um, you know, there's a whole lot of things going on, right? Butler and Wade came out after the Hawks game and were pointing fingers all over the place. Turns out that it was mainly focused on, I think, Michael Carter Williams and Miritich. The weird thing was that MCW didn't even play against the Hawks. He got a DMP CD, so. Uh, you know, it was weird. So I went through the last three minutes when they had a 10-point lead or something and then lost it. And I said, okay, what? because that was what prompted them to speak. If they had won that game like they should have, then they wouldn't have ever said anything and we would have moved on. You know, and of course, a lot of things happened, um, but everybody was involved. You know, Wade had some issues. Butler had some issues, made some mistakes down the stretch. Um, and th- those are all, you know, things that, you know, we all are taking problems with. Now, they were down by three with, with, you know, 24 seconds left or something like that, and they run a hammer play. And they didn't need a three. They could have gone for a two and then fouled or whatever. And so uh, that's on Hoiberg. That was a mistake. And because it got disrupted, it took so much time. When they finally did score, they then had to foul, and the game was over um, because they missed the three. So at any rate, uh, Rondo comes out and sort of tries to defend his guys, which I like. But again, you know, like you had said, it's, you know, it, it all should be private. That should all be in the locker room and not on social media. Um, and then today, what did we find out today about the role players? What are they saying now about the Bulls and, the, and, their, and their roles? So they're accusing Butler and Wade of playing buddy ball. And, and when you look at the stats, you know, in that game that they lost to the Hawks, they, they took 46 of the Bulls' 94 shots. But you know what? Like, that's the, I, I don't think that that's that rare for your two – "Quote unquote best players to take, you know, half your shots. So I don't, I don't know that there's any statistical evidence. I'd have to watch the tape. Yeah, it, it's the way it's set up now. It's not necessarily rare, but it's the, the offense. What gets me frustrated is having done that video when Hoiberg took over and shown all of his offense, what he normally likes to run, and then you watch what the Bulls are doing now. I, it just it frustrates me because it is so stagnant." It is just not clever, and it does. It certainly won't help the role players. Like I, I wouldn't, I won't blame them. The shots they're going to get are very tough. They're very infrequent. You don't touch the ball as often, and uh, it's not easy to, to be productive that way. And so, uh, you know, and like, so here we are again. Well, who is designing this offense? And it was like that last year, though, before Wade got there. But it, it, as it is now. Um, and we've seen it before in, with some of these guys where, like, clearly there's something issue. Now, they caught Butler. They caught, um, you know, they caught uh, Hoiberg trying to tell Butler to call a timeout if they, if they missed or made the free throw, you know, with 10 seconds to go. Whatever it was, perfectly reasonable. And you see Butler turn his head and be like, man, no. Like, really disrespectful. Just like, I'm not going to do what you just told me to do. So, you know. I think Butler's right on that. But I, I, I think that he went about it the wrong way. You think Butler was right because he shouldn't have been calling a timeout in that situation? Right. I don't I don't like the timeout in that situation. Remind uh, me what the situation was now because I'm blanking. So it was like 10 seconds left and there was a, they were shooting free throws. Um, and so on a make or a miss, like if you get a defensive rebound, you want to turn and get up court and try to score. 
um, in transition instead of calling a timeout, drawing up a play, and oh. going against that defense. Tra- you know, the transition score is, is going to be more successful. Right. It was Dwight shooting, and they were down right. by uh, three. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah. Okay. So Bill I mean, was right, but he went about it the wrong way. Yeah. I, okay, fair enough. I mean, either way, there's an argument for either, you know, either way. You know, if you want to set up a play, I, you know, I don't, right. There's obviously a dynamic there. It's a problem. Um, and so the way when he did it was, was, was not good. But I think it, it, even if it's good or not good, it's indicative. I think it's, it's telling us something that he was complaining about last year as well. And so we've already said this before. We don't need to beat a dead horse about Hoiberg and what his role is going to be, if he's going to even make it. But, um, yeah, it's a real problem uh, all the way across the board, and it's a recipe for, you know, 500 in the East. They have enough talent that they're going to win a couple and they lose a couple and they can't go back and forth and they don't get on a run. And it's hard to get on a run if you're not happy. Like, if you can't get energy going. And, like, Michael Carter-Williams, when I was going through the old footage of him before the, the, the Hawks game, you know, his defense is fine. Uh, it, there's no energy, though. He just kind of, he's got the weight of the world on his shoulders. And it feels like that, like as if they're browbeating him and they're putting him down and he doesn't believe in himself. And, and Hoiberg is not doing anything to help that either. Um, you know, it, like, like compared to the D'Antoni, right? D'Antoni's out there yelling at guys to shoot the ball, all right? And why didn't you shoot it? You got to. It's your shot, whatever. And meanwhile, we have a, I have a feeling they're probably telling Michael Carr Williams, don't dare shoot it. And I also caught uh, enough evidence that I believe it's true that Butler is not passing to him. He's literally playing four on five, and he's you know not going to pass to him, which in the flow of a regular offense is going to be a real problem. Yeah, you've at least got to hit those guys when they're open. And, and you know the other thing is, these are NBA players. They they need to feel empowered to shoot when they're open. I mean, you know, look at OKC, and you know what? I'm going to give Russ credit. I don't think Russ has ever told Andre Ro- uh, Robertson to not shoot. You see, I said it right this time. Um, Good. They, I, I doubt that that's the case. I feel like Russ tells that guy to shoot. Hey, shoot every time you're open. Shoot, shoot, shoot. Because you know what? He's going to hit three out of ten. He needs to shoot because even if he's not a good shooter, shooting at a high volume makes like the other team has to then guard him. So he needs to shoot. And, and you know, I think Russ is probably a better teammate for that reason, right? Like he's he's getting these guys the ball when they're open. And he, from from the body language, I don't see them miss shots and him going, you know, head down or, or you know, yelling at him or anything like that. So, a um, bit of a difference in the in the style, like as far as uh, dealing with your teammates there. Yeah, because Jimmy Butler is definitely freezing him out. Yeah, and I, and I would have preferred, you know, to see Russ be more positive and try and hit his teammates even more. But the results are there. You can't argue. He's he's certainly making enough passes, and he's trying to get him. I had in my mind's eye actually an image of him getting mad at Robertson for not shooting, coming off of a timeout or something. Like, man, shoot the ball. Let's do it, you know. So I, I do feel like I've seen that, and that's so that's that's certainly – you know, you don't want to do it angrily, but yes, it's a, it's a, the point is there that he he's trying to make that happen, and maybe he's slowly learning that. And we've seen a little bit of Russ actually coming around some screens and and, and flowing in in the in the offense a little bit more, which is you know extremely encouraging because those shots for him off of that action are so much easier, and we'll we'll start to see his his field goal percentage improve. Um, with that, so you know, it's a real interesting issue, and as a result, I've always said this before. It's like if you're coaching because you're afraid to get fired, well, you're going to get fired anyway. So why not? just Everybody gets fired. Yeah. Except you have Greg Popovich. Fired. So why not? You know, 
why not coach them and, 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 and get them to do what you have in your mind's eye and the right way to play basketball as opposed to letting the, 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 uh, the, the superstar dictate. Now, you know, this starts to infringe on LeBron territory, right? Uh, absolutely. You know, and how he has, he has controlled the coaching uh, his entire career. It's a little bit unclear how much he's doing it like this year since they won or whatever. But, um, you know, we, it's been documented. I've heard that he, he ran the timeouts. He would do the, do the substitutions, uh, you know, in Cleveland the first time. And then he tried to do the same kind of stuff in Miami. Um, you know, now I guess when you get to the level of LeBron, that changes the dynamic. You know, you're not Jimmy Butler is not LeBron. Dwayne Wade That's is not exactly LeBron. right. Yeah, how many? I mean, Jimmy Butler is a good player, but I don't know that Jimmy Butler elevates his teammates the way LeBron does. Right. Uh, that I can answer that question for you. Yeah. So, no, he does not. He does not elevate yeah. them. Well, who like does? That. I mean, that's kind of you know that's an unrealistic expectation of anyone who's not LeBron. I mean, LeBron is like. I don't know. I couldn't imagine a guy taking some of the teams that he's taken to the finals, you know. Yeah. And 60 win seasons. You know, I mean, he took Mo, we- uh, Mo Williams and Delonte West. Come on. Yeah. Was Boozer on that team or no? That was after Boozer left, right? It was after Boozer, okay. yeah. Um, so um, they, they could have used Boozer. <laughs> so, all right. So LeBron's buddy Carmelo is, is on the trade block, but he's got that no trade clause. Um, the newest. Uh, thing to, to come out from Ramona Shelburne and Mark Stein is that the Knicks and Clippers are looking for a third team to make this trade happen. So that's okay. interesting. That That is interesting. So that basically means Carmelo would go and play the the three next to uh, to Blake at the four. Wait, say that one more time. So, so the Knicks and Clippers are yeah. looking for a third team to, to make this trade happen. Right. So, so that Melo goes to the Clippers. Mm-hmm. That's one of the only teams he wants to go to. And, and, and the Clippers would trade. Looks like they want to get rid of Jamal Crawford. Okay. Um, but and they're hesitant to trade JJ Redick as they should be. Right. So they want, but so so they would they would package like Blake and oh. um, no, they're key, they want to keep Chris Paul. DeAndre Jordan and Blake Griffin and JJ Redick. Okay, which is hence the third team because the, who were the Clippers? Clippers couldn't get anybody back uh, for Melo that, that they I think would want. The, I think the Knicks are, at this point would be happy if they got a pick. You know, I, I don't right. think that they are that worried about getting a player, which is insane because, you know, Carmelo, like, is Carmelo the same Carmelo he was four years ago? No. None of us are. <laughs> you know, none of us are the same people we were four years ago. But uh, he's still a, a productive player. Like, I mean, yes, there are parts of his game that drive me crazy. Um, but, you know, being able to score 20 points a night is a skill. And, and, I mean, that's worth something. Right. Well, look at it this way from the Clippers' standpoint. Does Melo make them better than having Mbappé Mute play that position? I would say so on <laughs> offense. Yeah, I would say so. <laughs> yeah. Now again, like there's a defensive issue there. Uh, sure. You have DeAndre Jordan, and you have you have up the middle. You have you know the shortstop right. pitcher, whatever that is, or the center fielder, shortstop, whatever you want to call that on, on, yeah. on baseball. So you have the point guard in the, in the center, elite defenders. Um, but you have a problem with Blake as a defender. You have a problem with Melo. Redick is neutral. I think Redick is a, a, a decent defender. Okay, so he's okay. Yeah. Right. He's so, active, right? And so and that, that counts for something. Yeah. And so, okay, can you make that work? Okay, maybe. 
So, um, so yeah. So then, of course, the Clippers would have to give up. Uh, Jamal Crawford, I think, has to be. Now, the question, if you're talking about a pick, they have, Boston's the first thing that comes to mind, right? Because they have all those picks. Yeah, but I, I just don't think Boston – I don't think Jamal Crawford moves the needle for Boston. Um, I mean, honestly, maybe the Cavs, but, like, I just can't – I don't know. I couldn't imagine the Cavs taking on – I mean, remember, there's there's two years left after this one on that Jamal Crawford deal. Right. Well, so, let's look at it this way. If if it's going to be a pick, that means that the Clippers need to give up a player that's good enough uh, to get a pick that's good enough the Knicks want, right? Well, Austin Rivers has been floated out there, but, you know, then that puts kind of Doc, you know, do we find out, you know, someone asked us the other night, does that put Doc the GM on the hot seat? Is he willing to move Austin? And, you know, I think he probably would be. I think he said he would. I think that wasn't. Didn't he come out and say it? I feel like I, you know, I know I tweeted that if my kids shot with those kind of mechanics, I, I would trade them. <laughs> but um, nonetheless, I, I was, I was sorry, not sorry, but I was kidding, but sort of. But yeah. um, you know, wait, but we were talking about somebody else though that they could trade to replace Doc Rivers, and now I'm blanking. What was that? That was wasn't that a move? No. To replace Doc. To replace uh, Austin. Tyler Johnson. Oh, yeah. So we were talking about that, right? Like, if there was some sort of heat deal. Oh, I know. We were talking about our our, our mock dra- trades. Um, but, yeah, Tyler Johnson would look really good in the Clippers uniform. Uh, you know, if that, if that meant Austin Rivers goes away. And, you know, could they somehow convince Pat Riley that Austin Rivers is legit based on some of the numbers he's put up, you know, this year? Probably not. I think Pat, uh, Pat Riley is a little bit smarter than that. Okay, because we know that, like, I, I I would say that Austin is not really that good of a player. I, I don't and think he, he moves the needle in any direction. But the Clippers fans are going to say, well, look, he's averaging 12 points a game, you know, shooting 40% from three. Yeah. Cricket, that's, that's a lot of crickets over there. Yeah. I, I just, I look, Tyler Johnson is uh, 24, and he is a fantastic athlete. Yep, and I would bank on that before I'd bank on Austin Rivers. I think we've seen a lot of Austin Rivers. I think Austin Rivers could be your seventh or eighth guy, and you're okay. But his defense is really bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. It's funny because the Clipper fans will argue, "Oh, he's got he can play defense." But no, I never was impressed with his defense either. Certainly, yeah. physically, he doesn't have the strength uh, to really play physical defense. And well, he he guarded Steph Steph Curry the other night. Steph Curry, you know, just dropped 43 on him with, with ease. So, yeah. uh, and perhaps the budding, uh, the, 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 the beginning symptoms of the flu maybe with him too. And he still did that. So, um, yeah, uh, yeah, that's a good example there. I mean, listen, Steph does it to everybody, but nonetheless, sure. um, you know, uh, he, he doesn't do the Chris Paul, but certainly the yeah, Austin Rivers. So, and it's sad by the way, cause now that, you know, Chris Paul's not playing Blake's back, you can just see the Clippers, you know, I, I it might it might end up being Chris Paul has always been the X factor. You know, because oh, they played well without they play well without Blake, and now they play well with Blake without Chris Paul too in the past. You know, in some iterations, but I don't know this year. It just looks like it's without Chris Paul. It's like it's 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 as profound as like not having Russ on OKC. Yeah, you you Chris Paul like so Blake this season hasn't been the playmaker that he has been in previous seasons. And, um, you know, I mean, this might be, you know, part of the injury thing. You know, maybe he doesn't have all of his lift back and things like that. But I wonder, and we, you and I have wondered this together out loud, 
if this is sort of the downturn in his athleticism. I mean, he's 28. This isn't to say that he's washed up, but you know, with his injury history, it's it's a real concern, especially for a guy that depends so much on his athleticism to be relevant as an NBA player. You know, he you know, no one's gonna confuse him with a skilled player. Right. So yeah, I, I think I mean we Chris Paul is who we thought he was. You know, he's the best player on this team. He's one of the fifteen best players in the league. I, I don't think it's a shock that, that they're doing worse without him. <laughs> right. And it's just it's just very profound. Now, to get back to that trade, just to kind of really talk about that and really kind of understand what this means, what they're looking for. So, okay, it, the Knicks want to if you say if, if it's the Knicks want to pick, let's just say, you know, uh, I mean, I would think they would want somebody as well, but let's just say they want like a pick. The pick has to be a first rounder, and it has to be. I mean, would they take any first rounder? I think they'd have to be a top fifteen, wouldn't it? Yeah. So I mean, that that makes it tricky. If you know, like. What who's going to give up a top fifteen pick for something that the Clippers right. are willing to send to them? And that's the that's the the rub there is like the value in this situation is way out of whack. And don't forget that um, Carmelo gets a trade; he has a trade kicker, so that adds that adds how much money to his uh, to his deal? I don't even know. So explain that to everybody. If you get traded, you get a, an extra amount of money. Right, you get extra money, and so he he gets uh, where's the amount? Ten million, almost ten million. So um, that adds to you know takes his contract value for this season up. So that makes you know I'm pretty sure that puts Clip, the Clippers in the tax if they're not already. Um, well, yeah, it gets it gets tricky. And now, of course, L.A. can pay it because it's L.A. Right. You know, again, you know, we've seen GMs pull stuff off. Daryl Morey's been able to do this stuff. But the question now is, is you know, Doc Rivers isn't Daryl Morey. He's not that, you know, kind of GM who's who can figure this stuff out usually. I don't know. We haven't really seen that. It would probably be the most blockbuster trade we've seen in a long time. Since the last mellow trade? <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess, right, in the midseason. Because, I mean, I guess you can argue that – I guess LeBron got traded to Miami, right? Isn't that sort of how it went? It wasn't a sign and trade. It was a sign and trade, yeah. But whatever. But, you know, midseason, whatever, yeah, we haven't really seen anything like this in a while. So um, I don't know. It just seems like the picks are so valuable these days for people that they don't want to give them up. And, again, you know, it'd have to be like, yeah, Redick would move the needle, you know, but, but geez, trade Redick for Mello in the starting lineup, and then that means Austin Rivers has to play shooting guard for you, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, it, it, but the thing about Reddick, like where his value, like his value isn't as high as you think it is because he can be a free agent. He's going to be a free agent this summer. So, you know, you're going to have to pay him yeah. or someone else is going to have to pay him. So this is the tricky part. Like he might, he could walk. And so do you really want to give up something for, you know, three months of JJ Reddick? I don't, I just don't know. It, it's, it's going to be an interesting three weeks leading up to the trade deadline. Do you, I, I always feel like it's going to be a dud. It, it, they always seem like they're duds now, and uh, you know we're hoping, hoping, and then nothing happens. Well, so many trades now happen during the summer. Um, but I really feel like at this point, the Carmelo-Knicks front office relationship has soured to the point where I think Carmelo just wants out. Yeah, And I by the way, this was out. Phil's plan. Phil, yep. this was a systematic uh, way of getting him to, to, to at least agree to two teams he'd go to. Uh, by the insults and by whatever, he's he's not a he's not dumb. He 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 speaks to the media 
in a very measured, you know, tones. Um, and and so and that no one, I, I feel like no one wanted to believe me. I, mean, I tweeted this out like a month ago. Yeah. I got a lot of blowback from Knicks fans, but you know, yeah, this, he he understood what happened, and the fact that he gave him the no trade clause in the first place was a problem. But I suspect he was under the gun; he didn't have a choice with whatever the pressure was by New York. Um, you know, what's also funny about New York is that my buddy John Henson, who is coming on the show this Thursday, by the way, we're doing a live. We're going to be watching the show, watching the game in game, uh, while and, and cracking wise and on the couch. If you missed it last time, it was a really fun time. And we'll be uh, this Thursday during the um, Golden State Clippers. Oh, the Clippers. So anyway, but he wrote a really interesting article uh, uh, in defense of the Knicks. Well, not in defense of the Knicks, but sort of attacking the Knicks media for being so blatantly negative about everything. And Frank Isola was certainly his, his main focus. And uh, Isola like, responded, like, kind of freaked out on Twitter. And it caused a big stir. I don't, did you notice that at all? I did not. No, yeah. I don't follow Isola on Twitter. Good for you. I mean, he's yeah. he's a dinosaur. Like they, you should be able to go to a museum and see Frank Isola like sitting at a typewriter somewhere uh, with a trench coat and a uh, fedora. I mean, that's sort of that's how dinosaur he is. And um, and anyway, so they got into it, and that's you know it's interesting because this also could bring up a conversation about how you know we portray the, the teams or how the media or the beat writers portray them because. You know, certainly John Henson was right. Like, they just sort of always look to be negative, and that creates that whole atmosphere in New York specifically that, that causes GMs to make decisions, it feels like. You know, it's funny how our kind of political situation is sort of mirroring, mirroring the way that our sports media situation has been historically. You know, uh, we're getting to the point where now, like, politicians are taking an adversarial like approach towards the media be- partially because of how much uh it's not so much reporting anymore as it is commentary you know and, and the the lines are blurred between the two and i think that that's what we've got with the sports media is you have this you know the same guy may be reporting on a story but also offering commentary within a story i actually talked about kevin arnovitz um, and his his piece on DeMarcus Cousins. Kevin Arnovitz, it, to me, is a prime example of a measured reporter reporting the facts of a story, and when he gives you his takeaway, he frames it in a way where it is very clear that this is his takeaway after, you know, it's, it's extremely measured. It is, this is my takeaway after talking to all the parties involved, and it's super fair, and when you listen to him talk, like, it's super sincere and thoughtful. And but he is the exception. Right. We live in a world that's all about the hot take. Um, you know, Skip Bayless didn't get his ESPN job and then his huge Fox contract. You know, he he abandoned those newspaper roots, and it started when he started throwing gay rumors out about Troy Aikman. So people have been rewarded for this sort of adversarial, controversial, hot take culture that that now we live in i mean it's at the point where i couch things as hot takes that aren't hot takes just so people don't think it's a hot take <laughs> right well here's the thing the other parallel that, you, that we can make uh with politics and what's going on is how the politicians or how the gms use the media you know the, phil jackson he used the media to to you know do the hit job on uh, whatever or actually you know to make mellow mad at him or to be willing to leave uh, and we see that all the time with sources or whatever, like, you know, planting stuff in the media, just like we do and we've seen in the in the political realm as well, because they all need their their quotes. They need to be able to do this stuff. So 
there's a lot of levels here that that sort of go back and forth, um, you know, with with how this parallels where we're moving towards as a society and how we digest information. And, um, you know, it's probably a problem. You know, I think fair and measured and well-researched and, you know, uh, is good. Those are good things. And the hot take stuff tends to not be good. And also the, the distractions. Like, you know, the hot take is a distraction to doing the other things that people won't notice, which is happening in the politics. I don't know. Is there an equivalent to that in sports or in the NBA? I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, Nothing like what we're dealing with in the political realm at the moment, but but there are definitely things that, to a lesser degree, may be like that. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, you know, firing, so you can sign a guy from the D League or something. But well, that's right. well, firing a coach is a classic example, right? It, it's like we fire the coach to to kind of ignore, like when the Bulls fire Hoiberg, they can then blame it on Hoiberg instead of the fact that they put together a terrible roster. So you've got that sort of disinformation, misinformation, uh, sleight of hand stuff that happens all the time, which is very similar to, you know, what happens <laughs> in the rest of uh, our, our lives, I guess. But yeah, Absolutely. The rewriting I, I, of all that. Even like Marcus Aldridge, when he left Portland and all of a sudden, no, here are these, all these stories about how he was really difficult and that kind of stuff. Like all those things serve a purpose to some degree. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the media. No, you know, it's kind of like with, uh, with Watergate. Uh, and and uh, Woodward and Bernstein, I saw a great quote I was online somewhere where it was like they're hailed as these heroes who have you know, uncovered this story, right? But when it really was was just a guy in the FBI manipulating these two, you know, giving these two reporters information so that they that that the president can get taken out of office, right? Yeah, that's yeah, you know, exactly. it kind of reminds me of a great movie uh, by, by um, uh, oh god, it's called uh, Barcelona. I think that was the movie by Whit Stillman. Anyway, the guy has an amnesia. He wakes up. He doesn't know who he is. Whatever, and he's slowly trying to put his life back together. And he's like. I just watched this terrible movie where this guy comes and interrupts this perfectly nice wedding and he's banging on the glass and he's yelling, Elaine, Elaine, and he takes the bride out of there and they end up on a bus. He's describing The Graduate, right? And The Graduate, we're all excited because he's going to get the love of his life. He's going to take her away. You know, it's a bad idea to marry this guy. And his take on it was, oh, here's this guy who's interrupting a perfectly good marriage. And I feel like that's very similar to this where, um, you know, you just depending on how you look at it, it kind of changes all everything. Yeah, I mean, you know, and that's that's the human experience in a nutshell, right there. Is all, all of our uh, opinions are based usually on someone else's opinion, and also on our perspective. So yeah. Um, oh, and then you know another example of that. I, I was actually marching at LAX yesterday um, to to voice my displeasure with the the Muslim ban, which is basically what Trump called it on Twitter yesterday or maybe this well, morning. Well, uh, you know what? Also, Rudy Giuliani who can't help himself, yeah. said it on television. So for anyone that thinks that this is not a Muslim ban, you can just... Yeah. Giuliani yeah. said that Trump came to him not long ago and said, I want to get the Muslim ban going. Tell me how I can do it legally or whatever. Uh, yeah. It, it, horrible. Um, and so, and then, and then Sage Steele gets on Twitter and she had to get to the airport and she missed her flight because, you know, listen, it was disruptive. And w- there were people in their cars that were stuck there that were screaming at me and everybody um, and, and I get it. I, I do. I do. I did feel bad about that. I was like, man, I'm glad I wasn't in the car or whatever. And I, and I realized it was a problem. But the only problem I think I had with Sage Steele is what she characterized as sort of like happy, happy people. Um, you know, I, I, you know, whatever. I'll look it up in a second. But the idea being that like we weren't happy. We were we were angry. 
We are upset. We are doing the only thing that we can possibly do to voice our displeasure in any meaningful way is to protest. And uh, unfortunately, you know, I, I, I do feel bad that it interrupted people. You know, they had to walk a couple miles or whatever to get into the airport um, and they missed their flights. That's tough. Um, but we certainly weren't happy about what we were doing. You know, we've gotten to the point. Our lives are so comfortable today in 2017. You know, you can go. You can order your groceries online. You can have food delivered to your house. You know, I've got ice whenever I want it in my refrigerator. I mean, you know, the simplest things, right? But unfortunately, in order for people to pay attention to things that are not right, people have to, you know, you have to get a little uncomfortable. You have to be a little inconvenienced. Otherwise, the protest is useless. Yeah. You know, when they were, when the Montgomery bus protest, they shut down the bus service in a city. Um, that wasn't convenient for those people, but you know what? It was a pretty good reason. And so, you know, like the only way anything gets done in this country is if you make enough noise and if you inconvenience enough people. And, and the hope is that people that maybe didn't realize what was happening are inconvenienced and it, or see this, you know, the noise that's, that's created and they look into what's happening and they say, uh, no, we can't do this. This is not, this is completely against our American values. Um, in every single respect. And this is, you know, this is not, this shouldn't even be, and what is going to happen is this is going to be politicized and people will say, oh, I can't believe you're being political and you're taking a side. You know what? Shut up. I'm an American citizen. I pay taxes and I refuse to allow my government to act in a way that is, you know, against our American principles as a society. And so, you know, we, we really need to be conscious of this stuff and just say, you know what, it is an inconvenience, but this is, you know, this is what makes America America. And the only people that tend to criticize and say, oh, he shouldn't be speaking up, he's a basketball coach or whatever, are usually the guys who just simply disagree with what the coach is saying. You right. know, we've seen Steve Kerr had is it's been wonderful with what he's been saying recently, and you know, again, uh, and we, and I feel like we could bring it up in this kind of context because you know, Sage Steele was you know the host of the of the NBA halftime show. I think she's still doing it to some degree. Um, yeah. So, so there's there's a connection here, but uh, certainly what she had said, I just want to quote it was. Uh, it, but it saddened me to see the joy on their faces, uh, meaning, meaning the protesters' faces, knowing that they were successful in disrupting so many people's travel plans. And so, you know, yes, comma, immigrants were affected by this as well, period. Brilliant. So, like, that, I, she just missed the whole thing. And that, and by the way, if you watched her replies on Twitter, it was pretty brutal. Uh, and people, you know, took her to task. Because she, she got the message and then probably understood, you know, why that was maybe inappropriate or didn't quite capture what was going on. Um, but it certainly is a problem, and uh, it also affects NBA players. I mean, I know that um, Thon Maker is concerned if he goes to play Toronto, is he going to get back in the country? Well, so they, they have actually amended the executive order. Um, now, this is the, the, a judge issue to stay, and they're not even supposed to be enforcing it, but they amended it um, thanks to the Department of Homeland Security head, General John Kelly, who, if you listen to his confirmation hearing, is actually – you know, he seems like a civil libertarian compared to everyone else in Washington right now. Um, and, and he actually issued a clarifying statement on it. And green card holders will be, you know, back in the country. That's not an issue. Um, but but, you know, at the end of the day, it's it's disturbing to me as a an American and as a human being that we would treat other human beings as less than human beings.
Yeah. And that and that's where I stand on the whole thing. And you know, it, it is disappointing when I see the rhetoric coming out of people who I know and love and respect um, that doesn't agree with that basic tenant that our entire system is built on. Right. And if you if you can't stick to that then what do we have? And the, the last thing we can say about this is that it's, you know, the, the subterfuge or what they're, what the Trump and those guys are focusing on is, oh, it's 108 people that got detained for a few extra hours. That isn't really the key. The key here is that they're now banning anybody from coming in. Like, okay, I get it. They were already on planes and play, whatever was happening was already in, in place. But now you're talking about people who are stuck, who had, had gone for years of vetting to go to get here. And now they can't even get on the plane to get here for however many months. And God knows how long it's going to last. They know it's supposed to be temporary, but you never know how that works. And that's the real key. And I think that that's what Steve Kerr was talking about uh, yesterday as far as it's the soft power. And soft power means that you want to have a country that people like you so much that they aspire to come here, to be American, and to not want to train to blow themselves up or kill other Americans. And the more that you do like this, the more you spawn the hatred and the, and the animosity like that, that will continue to increase the numbers of people who don't like us. And I feel like that's never been an issue. It's never been a concept that, that, that uh, guys like Trump can, have ever been able to understand. Unfortunately, it's a little bit nuanced, I suppose. And, um, you know, that's something like, well, you know, Kennedy understood. Yeah. I mean, have you ever heard about uh, uh, whataboutism? No. Okay. So whataboutism was a tactic used by the Soviet Union in the 70s and 80s. Uh, really like the late 60s and, and 70s. And anytime someone brought up something to them, like a reporter, like if they were at the UN or whatever, it was always, they always countered with, well, what about this? That the Americans were doing. Mm -hmm. So the Trump people have, have kind of perfected this. Every, anytime you call them on something, their big thing was, well, we only use the countries that, that President Obama signed as being, you know, terrorist havens or whatever. So that's their out, right? And this is the excuse that I keep hearing from people. And, you know, by the way, just to throw this out there, like I, I've been a conservative for the majority of my life. Um, I haven't voted for a Republican in quite a long time, but, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm appalled with this. I, I think that this is completely, uh, against everything that we stand for. So, yeah. and that's well, where I stand on it. How about this? What about T.J. McConnell going to the Cavaliers? I'm against that, too. <laughs> okay. Because I mean, we should wrap up a little with NBA yeah. stuff, I feel like, just to, just to bring it back. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, that's another one of those things. Now, we, we've been arguing about McConnell, about whether or not he's like a legit player. I, you know, the, I've seen enough where I'm like, God, this guy really can make some plays. He can set guys up. He's a pass-first point guard for good reason. Um, and and he plays really good defense. I, I want to make sure, like we did the, uh, a video on, with him uh, not long ago, and I was able to spotlight a few instances where he he can he plays defense. He plays good positional defense. He hustles. Um, I, I mean, th at the very least, I think he'd be perfect in that Delavid overall for the Cavs. Yeah, I mean, he probably would. He probably would be great in that role. I think what he's doing now, um, he could be a starting point guard on a bad team, which Philly still is kind of a bad team. I mean, they're, they're much improved and they've improved with him in the starting lineup, which just tells you how bad their point guard situation has been. Um, but I think he's a backup point guard at best. Um, yeah, maybe a third guard, but, but backup at best. And right. so, yeah, I mean, Cleveland, it makes sense for Cleveland to want that guy. Yeah, I mean, like, what would have made him, like, that much better is if he could have shot, you know, 
38, 39% from three, you know, like, like Delvanova got to. Now, here's the thing. You know, Delvanova got there because he was playing with LeBron and, and that good team. And he, he looked a lot better, uh, you know, or he was able to benefit a lot from that. So the question is, would TJ, would, uh, would McConnell, you know, look better? I think obviously he would, right? There's no question he would, you know, he wouldn't have the turnovers he would he does in, in, in Philly. Um, you know, now, as a, yeah, obviously as a starter, it would never be an issue because of Kyrie is there anyway. But without question, I think he would do – he solves – you know, I, I guess he gives them more than what they have now coming off the bench, which isn't much from that position. Uh, I mean, I, I guess who are they even using right now? Is it Liggins? Or, who's, who are they using in the point guard? Kind of using Kay Felder, but, but yeah. really it's just LeBron and Kyrie. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, LeBron's playing 40 minutes a night. I mean, it is insane. Um, so if if getting McConnell for them were, were to get LeBron down to like the 34, 35 minute a night mark, uh, I'd be all for it. I think McConnell, he probably could be useful for them um, because he's better than what they have currently. But, you know, I, I just couldn't imagine giving up much for him. Right. And, and the idea that you – okay, here's what would get everyone kind of not wanting this thing is – by you framing it as saying by getting McConnell, LeBron gets to play like six less minutes a game, that doesn't that doesn't sound right. <laughs> it doesn't sound like he he does that at all for them. But um, I just mean it's another guy who can handle the ball and and you know McConnell is even though he turns it over a little bit, he still is a playmaker. Yeah, he, he, may, he you know he gets the offense moving and stuff like that. And that's that's one of the problems that LeBron has is that when he's not in the game. The, the offense really stalls out. I mean, even with Kyrie on the court, it right. still will have, have a tendency to fall back into isolation. And, and LeBron, you know, that's why he keeps complaining about needing a playmaker, not necessarily a point guard. Right. And by the way, just, I threw it out there. Delvanova this year with Milwaukee is shooting six percentage points less from three than he did last the last two years. So it's yeah. very indicative of like there. That's the bump. Now, does McConnell get a six point bump? Like maybe, probably, but maybe. that still gets him to be useful. Yeah, absolutely. I, like I say this. I said this before. I was like, you know, it's it's amazing to me that he's been able to he's starting for an NBA team without being able to shoot from anywhere except <laughs> right. for free throw. And, and so, yeah, I mean, if he could if he could shoot 37, 38 percent, well, then that changes the game for him. Yeah. Well, interesting to see how all this all plays out and if we're going to be right or not. But uh, this was a really good one. I mean, I think we flowed very smoothly from one to the other. And we probably covered more subjects today than we've ever had in a podcast. Would you say? Uh, yeah, we, we kind of hit a little bit of everything. Awesome. Well, that's how we like to do it here, and everyone's been responding very well. So, you know, if you like this podcast, make sure to get on iTunes to give us a nice review and uh, some stars. And uh, get on Twitter. We've been getting a lot of response on Twitter recently on all of our uh, shows, and it's been awesome, and it will respond. So uh, let us know what you think, what you don't like, what you like, and um, we'll, we'll definitely take you up on it. Yeah, I'd love to argue about T.J. McConnell on Twitter. Come so. at us. We're ready for you. So uh, <laughs> thanks, Dave, for coming on another great show. And don't forget, sports fans, at B-Ball Breakdown, we're not a channel. We're a conversation. You in? Are you in, Dave? Yes, I am. <laughs>